Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you to check out ESPN's Debatable. It's a digital exclusive series on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and the ESPN app, but it's also a podcast every weekday. Bunch of voices you know, bunch of voices you've heard on this podcast, including yours truly, usually on Fridays, previewing the weekend's games. Um, check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I guarantee you're going to love it. Welcome back to the Mina Khan Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts hears Derek Carr and starts barking out the window. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes, and I am joined for a very special wildcard weekend preview by someone who has not been on the podcast in a long time and thus lost his spot in the podcast frequent guest rankings to Dominic Foxworth. It's Mike Gola Jr. So this is always going to be a point of contention, and thank you for having me back. I believe this is my first appearance since the uh, season preview podcast, mm. our yearly Super Bowl team draft, draft that we go through, and uh, I'm sure we'll get an update on. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm less worried now about catching Dominique because I've realized that for whatever reason, he is just always going to be the rabbit that I chase in this. I need to know where I stand with Who's in third right now? Because I'm starting to worry about getting like the backdoor cover situation from another one of the frequent podcasts. Yes. So it's Field Yates. And I believe he is, Dan told us, one show behind you now. Or, yeah. So he's coming. The footsteps are there. And that's what I hate because I can't even get mad because it's Field, right? Like, uh, if, if it was anyone else, I could act pissy about it. But it's Field Yates, the nicest person in the world. So go figure. So before we get to this weekend's games, all of which I love, by the way. I'm so excited, like doing this preview and kind of going through the matchups and catching up on watching them. I- I'm so excited for all of these games, um, and I cannot wait to break them down. But I do want to update people on the the show you mentioned, which was our annual team draft, because there are major ramifications in the playoffs. So Dan just sent me the data. Thank you, Dan. I am ahead of you, 179 to 161. However. It is you can still catch up because um, the way my very scientific point system that I adjust on the fly year to year works is you get five points for making the divisional round, ten points for making a championship, ten points for making the Super Bowl, and five for winning the Super Bowl. So you can still win this. You just need your teams to perform in the postseason. So th- those teams, for those who have forgotten, I mean everyone, uh, is you <laughs> drafted the Chiefs first, so that's a good one. And then you've got the Bills, Cowboys, Pats, Raiders, and the Cardinals. You got the Cardinals for a great value. Um, and I have the Bucks, Packers, and Titans in my first three. Love that. I got both bot- first team buys. Yeah. The Rams, Niners, Steelers, Eagles. And then I got the Bengals at the end of the draft. So that was my deep value pick. Yeah, no, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't feel good as you've read all these off here, especially based on some of the games that we're going to talk about. And like you said, the buys factoring in being more important than ever, not only to real football, but also to the team draft every year that you mentioned the change of the rules. It's to rig it against me. You got beat one time and decided it was never going to happen again. It was such a bad system. I honest, the first time I made it super random, I overweighted the Super Bowl. It was ridiculous. I destroyed you in the regular season, whatever. We don't have to get into it, but I do think it's notable that I, so right now, my pick for the Super Bowl is Packers-Chiefs. I think a lot of people agree with me. I've got the Pack. You've got the Chiefs. So 
Some people think that game has major ramifications for football fans. I think it has greater import because of the meeting time show featuring Lenny. Yeah, forget the uh, vague references to, you know, this drive matters to some folks out in the desert. Like, no, this folk, this game matters to some folks in Southern California and Central Connecticut. That's who this matters to. <laughs> All right. So um, I figured we'd just go in chronological order for the weekend. Uh What's the, what do you think is the best time slot, by the way, of all these games? Like, what is the peak? Game one is always pretty good. The Monday night, though, you know, you're the only team. Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's something special about Monday night. But I don't know. For me, I, I like if it were just time slot, because I think game wise, this one could be a, a little far apart. But like. Sunday night's nice to me because I know I've got something then to look forward to. It's kind of like the opening the present on Christmas Eve. Yeah. I know I've got Christmas Day still to look forward to, but it really whets the appetite well and is probably the inherently better day. Well, from a football perspective, this matters a great deal because we're going to talk about Rams Cardinals at the end. And they, both of those teams have injured players. And I think getting those extra days, it matters a lot. So, um, yeah, the, the, there, are, there are a few teams in the playoffs where there's questionable player availability and i and i do think it you know the order of the schedule matters but unfortunately for the raiders and the Bengals, um they are not those teams however both of them are fairly healthy uh the Bengals are favored in this one i figured just starting on that side of the ball because joe burrow has been playing on an absolute heater and i think more importantly mike and this is why i'm I've sort of changed my tune a little bit on the Bengals, and i have more belief in them as legitimate contenders zach taylor is letting him go on an absolute heater, right? Like, I, I I feel like this offense was kind of muffled a little bit uh, early on the season, a lot of early down runs, conservatism. And then at some point, you know, they, they've realized, oh, wait, we've got a group of skill players that most teams in the NFL cannot cover, especially in man. And we have a quarterback who is fearless and has an ability to deliver strikes under pressure. Yeah, this is uh, sort of the reverse Sirianni where he realized, yes. wait a minute, <laughs> Our line's not good and isn't going to get better. And so we better just do everything possible to cover it up. And like, that's been the most insane part of this to me. And it's the biggest kind of qualm I have going forward, Mina, is what did we talk about coming off the Super Bowl last year is mm -hmm. eventually the things we know about football have to matter. And at some point, sacrificing protection so much and in the Kansas City case, based on injury has to catch up with you. Like that's the thing I worry about with the deep playoff run is it's not like Joe Burrow has survived this year because he miraculously hasn't been hit. The guy's been yeah. sacked over 50 times. Like he's gotten his ass whooped. And I just feel like as we go deeper, I expect them to win this game, but that's my biggest concern. It's the same concern. It's been the whole year. So maybe I should get over it, but we know this kind of year ramps it up. No. And it is the one I wouldn't say it's, it's the mismatch on this side of the ball for the Raiders, which is we just saw their pass rush take over a football game uh, in week 18. And while I think the Bengals offensive line, uh, I actually think they're pretty comparable to the Chargers, where actually in many ways, because the right side in both of these teams is a problem. Um, you know, Riley Reef out for the season. Uh, Isaiah Prince has been playing right tackle and struggling to do so. And that is where Max Crosby lines up. So, I'll be curious um, if that affects the Bengals' aggression, you know, it, knowing that there's going to be a ton of heat on Burrow. And, and by the way, if I'm a Bengals fan, I hope it doesn't because 
I, while I agree with you, like that there is a, a concern about a deep playoff run when it comes to Joe Burrow uh, getting sacked as much as he does. I feel like that if you cower in this moment and and don't try to take advantage of the mismatches you have on those Jamar Chase Copals in pretty much every game, but certainly this one, you're not going to win. Oh, no, you've got no shot. And it, I guess that's where we're at, right, is we talk about some of the teams that we've gone through over the years have the ability to kind of flex and be whatever you need. The Bengals have one trick. It's the best trick that they've got. It's one of the best in the NFL. We just saw them light up the scoreboard against the Chiefs. Like, they decided in this AFC where we wondered, all right, how strategically were people going to approach Kansas City up top? We have seen now you've got the Patriots on one side who some of it's by necessity had to kind of turtle things, had to play out, go opposite a little bit. And then you've had the Bills and in this case, the addition of the Cincinnati Bengals who said, we're going to build this in their likeness where we give the keys to our quarterback who's a legit dynamic weapon because that's the other part of this. Like Joe Burrow is going to have to be their check down in some of this stuff. We know certainly their backs are both capable, but it, Joe Burrow is going to have to be the difference in this one in mitigating that pass rush the way he's done all year long. Like mm. that's the tool that between Mahomes, Josh Allen to the highest extent, and then I would say Burrow to the least of the three here all have. Yeah, I guess I'm just like don't waste early downs. Just you know, <laughs> slamming Joe Mixon in. Well, although by the way, notable absence Darius Phylon, who I thought was integral in the last game and has been very good for the Raiders at defensive tackle. Um, is out in this game, I believe, with injury. So that actually does make things a bit easier, uh, you know, on the inside. But uh, yeah, just keep letting Joe Burrow cook, even if it hurts sometimes, would be yeah. my approach to this. Um, you know, on the other side of the ball, I, this is what my, my skepticism about the Bengals is not about the offense or even the protection. I, I think Joe Burrow is just playing so out of his mind right now that he can overcome that. My concern is I am still not a total believer in this defense. I, I, I think they're, they've got some really good pieces. And you know, I've been Trey Hendrickson hive since the beginning, but I do think they're just kind of average uh, for the most part. Um, and that's backed up, you know, just by every metric, they were pretty much in the middle of the pack. Um, you know, I think that they will struggle to handle Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro in the same way that many defenses struggle to handle them. I'd agree. It's going to be interesting, though, because they're certainly going to be stressed somewhat less. Like I was talking to uh, you know our friend Jason Fitz about this, seeing mm -hmm. that the you know he's the lifelong diehard Raiders fan, yes, and sir. just str strategically what, going back and watching the first game. In the first half against the Bengals early in the season, the Raiders didn't have, I believe, a single play over nine yards on offense. Like, mm. And talking to Fitz, a lot of that is by design. Like, They want to limit possessions in the game. They want to take as much of the air out of the ball as possible. And that's what gets me worried about this game because I could see them having success in moving the ball, but all it takes is one Trey Hendrickson splash play. All it takes is you know one turnover or something like that. And the, the best way to beat a team that wants to control the ball is is to be able to do what the Bengals do, like big plays go over the top. I think on the other side, Burrow has more plays of 40-plus yards than Mahomes and Brady combined on the season. Like That's just too much to overcome if your best asset is being able to hold on the ball and you know hope for the best yeah. the way the Raiders do. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the Bengals are just going to try to keep everything in front of them. Um, 
you know, maybe the occasional zone blitz. But you know, the Chiefs, I think they had one all-out pressure, and it was in it, against the Chiefs, rather, and it worked, right? And it worked in part because it's not something they do very often. Um, I thought that that game, by the way, like was – I know Mahomes ultimately put up, what, like 31 or something? But it, it that game, to me, the Bengals showed a lot on defense that suggests uh, they will do a better job – than a lot of teams against this Raiders offense. They, you know, I thought the way that they defended Travis Kelsey, which this Bengals defense is, I think, 27th in DVOA against tight ends. is something that they have struggled with in the middle of the field. But I thought they did a really, really nice job um, being physical with Kelsey. And, and that, to me, gives some hope for their ability to handle Waller. But man, dude, like, you know, the Chargers bracketed Renfro, maybe more than I've seen a slot receiver uh, bracketed this entire season, although you know I'm sure Devonte and Tyree Kill have some games where they were in the slot a lot, but it really is a pick your poison situation with those two pass catchers because they're both uncoverable in certain parts of the field. God, between Hunter Renfro's really entire season long arc and then coupled with Stetson Bennett winning in college here, it has <laughs> really been a banner year for the average looking small white guy going to work. Dude, he's so good, Hunter. I mean, it's it's, it's honest, and, and like I, I don't know, like I what you know, I I cover a lot of college football, so like I watched all the stuff he did at Clemson. It made sense in that context. We see plenty of it there, but especially on third down, like it's been light, it's been lights out. Like I don't have the passer rating numbers in front of me, but Derek Carr to Hunter Enfro on third down has basically been the perfect weapon. So I. I I, I don't know how to explain it because, again, like physical gifts he's lacking, but, you know, it's it's all of the normal euphemisms we use for someone with his profile just at an extremely high level. I, I think I, I feel similarly about Derek Carr in this game that I do about Joe Burr. Obviously, stylistically very different. There's no, like, you know, Jamar Chase type. but And, and I'm not saying necessarily Carr needs to be as aggressive, but to me – what they did against the Chargers were basically leaned on Josh Jacobs, you know, against a very bad tackling defense. I don't think that works against Cincinnati. Um, I think the Bengals would love for that to happen. Uh, you know, they're better in run defense than they are against the pass. Uh, and even though I do like the pass rush to some extent, I think for the Raiders to pull off the upset, Derek Carr needs to be fourth quarter Derek Carr, <laughs> like extending plays, taking risks. Um, I think, you know, going to Waller when he's singled out, like, I, I just feel like the approach needs to be far more attacking than it was in the last game. Well, it, Waller had over 100 yards in this first matchup, right? Like uh, I, I don't have it in front of me. sure he got, I'm pretty yeah. sure he got, I want to say he did just thinking back off the top, but like, it, so to be clear, like they've got that in the cards here. And that was a game too, like, that was the perfect Raiders script the first time. I think the Bengals rattled off like 19 points in the fourth quarter or something like that. So it was one of those where the final score in my mind was a little misleading just the way the whole game had gone. But I'm with you. And like, it, I don't know, Derek Carr's got that in the bag. They're, I think, five and a half point dogs in this game. So that that seems to track. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's, this is that close ultimately? Like, was that fourth quarter a misnomer? Or do you think this one is is about right? Um. So you were right, by the way. He had 116 yards. I I do think that if Carr is the playmaker that we've seen him be at times, they can make this close. Um, because I I but I have more faith in what I've seen out of this Bengals passing offense over the last few weeks because it's been just so terrifying 
to watch. Uh, it's a lot of pressure, you know, on the Raiders pass rush. I think losing Phylon is sneaky, massive. But, you know, it, again, Raiders, they're kind of playing with house money here. So attack, 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 attack. Uh, that said, I'm picking the Bengals. How about you? Yeah, picking the Bengals on this one. So Saturday night, I feel like is a jewel. Like, I mean, the whole schedule is full of great games, but this is one of my favorites. Round three of Patriots Bills. Um, I just watched round two yesterday. And the first thing I just want to start with is Josh Allen played out of his goddamn mind <laughs> in this game. And But, but I want to say, uh, Pats fans, that's actually kind of a, a good thing in some ways because like he probably is not going to be as good as he was just because that was his best performance of the season. Yeah, that game was riddled with all of like the no, 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 yes throws out of Josh Allen. Like I just have that one where he was rolling. I think it was down near the red zone, rolling right back across his body, I believe, to digs like in the middle. It was absolutely batshit. It had no right to be thrown, but that's the, you know, Josh Allen audacity that we've come to know. So that's. Yeah, it was insane. And that was the that was the rushing game for Josh Allen yes. that we had been waiting for, right? Like I think he had I I went back and looked 12 rushes between, you know, design runs and scrambles in that game, but that was so much of the frustration I feel like from part 1 that really showed up in part 2. Well, so I think this is what the Josh Allen's not only ability to use his legs, but the willingness he's shown over the last like 5 or 6 games or whatever is what makes the math really challenging for New England. Uh, they played a lot more man coverage than I remembered watching this game. And as you know, that is a nightmare against Josh Allen, not, not at, at the runner because of the, not his ability, you know, the, the Bills receivers ability to separate, but also the fact that he can punish them when they turn their backs on him. I, I think. And then the other thing was, um, God, poor Miles Bryant, whom I love Husky got absolutely torched by Isaiah McKenzie in this game. So I feel like in terms of like adjustments, um, I'll be curious to see what the Pats do because in some ways, like the, I don't think the coverage was bad and actually the pass rush wasn't as bad as I remembered either. Josh Allen just, again, was like unconscious in terms of escaping it. But I do think if you're Bill Belichick, you have to figure out, you can't leave your slot corner on an island like that. I, I bet the Bills, by the way, go back to McKenzie over Beasley in this game. And you must f figure out a way to handle Josh Allen on the run. Yeah, and, and I'm not really sure how you do that because <laughs> I know you and I were talking and, and texting beforehand because it was like, man, if they can't go and just get pressure with four and you know have eyes back for Isaiah McKenzie and some of the stuff they wanted to do like horizontally in their pass and extended rushing game with him, but you went back and looked like the Patriots did a lot of that like simulated pressure where they'll rush a couple of D linemen and bring a backer as like a you know secondary layer. But when you give Josh that kind of seam that comes from all of that, that was when he was taken off and even burning you in that regard. Like he was finding the holes as a rusher and he's just so gifted in that regard. So mm. I, I don't know what you do because it's not like the Patriots are you know, built like a lot of those four down teams that are just going to yeah. line up squarely like that and say get after it. That's just not really been who they've ever been. I, th I think like the Patriots, to some extent, they they want the Bills to run like, you know, the Bills are a pretty heavy RPO team now, and uh, they want the give like they want to force the give, which, which is what they did to Miami as well. Um, and actually didn't, you know, backfire them to on them to some extent. But um, I, I think they want either Josh or Devin Singletary 
to have the ball. And I, but, but I do, again, just because, like, I, I, if I'm the Pats, I'm fine with Singletary running. But Josh Allen right now on his feet is one of the biggest mismatch nightmares in the NFL. And I expect him to use his legs a lot in this one because as of now, Wednesday, um, it's projected to be freezing cold and something stats and info was circulating this uh, internally about Josh Allen playing in freezing cold weather, which uh, he's had five games. He has a completion percentage of 50%, which is the second worst completion percentage in freezing temperatures of the last 15 years. The worst being Tim Tebow. Um, Small sample size, I know, but my takeaway here is not that it means Josh Allen's going to be awful. Although Bill's build a dome, it's very obvious. Build a dome, win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Do it, I don't please. know how many times I have to say it. To me, it just says, "Oh, this dude's going to keep the ball a lot." Yeah, I mean, listen, we're not going to have any sort of weather effect that's going to top part one in this game. So, like, I can at least sleep soundly knowing that. But I- I- I'm with you. The other interesting part off that because. the last play I saw when I went back and watched the second game between these two that I laughed at was something where they ran one of those plays where Josh Allen, it starts off as a draw, but he's got the green light to throw the pop pass off of that one and just building everything off the drop back pass game. Cause that was the other part early Mm -hmm. in that game, getting the ball to uh, Devin Singletary as a dump off, like exploiting all the space in the middle of the field that the spread out passing game gives. They basically turned Devin Singletary's short outlet passes in the middle into their run game for a large portion of the beginning of that. And the Patriots, I think, give up the like 27th in yards per play when the running backs the target. So I know it's not efficient in the passing game overall, but like, as the version of the run game that they'd like, it seems like it could be something they'll probably try and go back to the well on. I agree. I think, um, again, to kind of sticking with the Pats defense from a pressure perspective, rewatching this game, I think it, it is frustrating to watch. They did get more pressure than I remembered. It's just, again, Josh Allen was able to like escape so much, but there is a ton of pressure on like Matt Judon, who is unfortunately tailed off, uh, over the second part of the season to not only set the edge and contain Josh Allen, but, um, you know, I would say disrupt him more than he did the first time around. I thought the best pass rusher in the last game was Christian Barmore, who's hurt. I think he's going to play, but knowing the pass and what they want to do up front to me, like you got, you know, there's going to be, they're probably going to mush rush Allen a fair amount, but you got to push the pocket. You got to affect him and you cannot let him escape the way he did in round two speaking of tailing off towards the end of the season here kid can like where are we at like what's the responsible thing to say about mac jones at this point because i've seen the takes all over the place i think troy aikman was putting out a bunch of stuff on him before here but like we obviously i think a lot of people overreacted to the beginning portion of the season most of us were like yeah he's doing great with what he's been asked to do here but down the stretch it feels like water started to finally find its level so like what what are we allowed to expect from him in this one so i think a lot of it is matchup driven right like Okay, this what the Bills defense showed in the second game was a, I would say, strategically very sound approach uh, and an ability to defend Mac Jones the way he should be defended, which is you got to load up to stop the run. Uh, also take take away his checkdowns to running backs, which the Bills did with great discipline, the linebackers, and then um, force him to throw the ball outside, which is something Miami did as well. 
uh, you know, I mentioned that last week in my preview with Charles. I'd be curious to see how Miami defended him. And, you know, not every secondary has that ability, but I think the Bills, even without Tredavious White, have shown that they do. They're going to they're gonna say, hey, beat us outside the numbers in man coverage. Hold on, I pulled the numbers from week 16. So when the Bills played man, and they played way more man in this game, 61% of dropbacks, according to True Media, than they have all season. This is mostly a zone team. Uh, Mac Jones averaged 3.9 yards per attempt and threw two interceptions. So I think to me, a lot of the pressure here is not only on Mac Jones, but on Josh Daniels, like knowing what they're probably going to do. Can you dial up some concepts to counter that? Which, you know, he can. (laughs) No, he certainly can, but I'm also not that confident in their ability overall in this one. Like, again, I I probably overcorrected a little bit too far in looking at that first matchup and the game that went there and just – obvious run situations, the Bills getting it force-fed, like how big Damian Harris was in that one and was in the second one. Like Damian Harris was one of the few guys that I thought played really well in that second matchup too. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that that Bills defensive front, like between Ed, Ed Oliver and some of the rest of that group, like they've made plays when they've needed to against the run. Like statistically, mm-hmm. it's worn out. They're pretty good at everything overall. So I, I, I don't know. I, I still feel pretty good about the yeah. Bills with this one, especially if they're able to buy extra hats like that with man. Yeah, Oliver's been uh, a lot better as the season has gone along. Um, I've been impressed by that Bills front. Yeah, I, I, and I want to say something, too, about the Pats offense. It's not just Josh or pretty Mac Jones when we talk about, like, why they are struggling to beat man coverage outside the numbers. They don't have receivers who are winning consistently, right? So, like, that is what, what defenses are doing. It's not just responding to Jones. It's responding to their group of skill players they do get Aguilar back which I think does help to some extent in terms of stretching the field but again like to me knowing that the Bills are going to take take away the middle of the field and be aggressive against the run Josh McDaniels has to find a way to get those tight ends uh opportunities you know in space basically and that's something that he struggled to do with Johnny Smith um I lean Bills in this one basically because of everything we've talked about over the last 10 minutes but I also think it presents a really unique coaching challenge and the Patriots do have uh, pretty good coaches. So we'll see. Decent. Yeah. I'm going bills in this one also. Like even if Josh Allen isn't full blown Superman again, I-, I think he's just more than good enough considering how, like you said, on the side, other side, we're seeing a much more limited Patriots offense in terms of what they're going to be willing to present them. So I'll go bills. So game three, Eagles Bucks. The Bucks are a team I think that would love to play Monday night because this is a team where Man. injuries matter a great deal. So the latest is Shaq Barrett and JPP are playing, which is huge, especially Barrett. Um, Leonard Fournette, I believe, is playing. Levante David is questionable. Is game time massive in this game? Massive. I mean, I, I've kind of been a little bit preachy about Levante David and the impact he has on their run defense, but. Oh my God, Devin White without Levante David, I don't even, I can't even think of an analogy. It's like me without Lenny. Like I I just, he's lost, man. He's lost. Yeah, it's so interesting. What a great player, Devin. Like it's it's a weird force multiplier situation. I'm with you. You and Lenny is probably the best comp for all that. But just in general too, like that's kind of been the difficult part of assessing what was the you know unquestioned strength of the team going back the last two years and coming into the season was what do we do with the rush defense for the Bucks because that's you know 
been something that numbers-wise, when you look at the rest of that uh, defense, so they are 10th in defesi- uh, defensive rush success percentage. They are 15th in yards per rush, 20th in yards before contact per rush. Like, what? none of it makes sense. Oh, yeah, like that was the one that blew me away because yeah. that's the usually the O-line stat that shows you yeah. what a group is doing up front. And to your, but to your point, like, there's been stretches without Vita Vea this year where he was injured, Levante David. So there, there are all these important parts in addition to like the pass defense and the back end and the injuries there having affected this team. Yeah. So these teams played in mid October. Um, and this was basically, I don't know when Sirianni, it, it's like the the galaxy brain, like revert, I, like, you know, it's not like he, he's based now. He's like, so <laughs> leaning on, the, I don't, I'm trying to think, you know, basically what, before he turned the season around, they just started running the hell out of the ball. Um, in this game, they were afraid to run the ball. I don't know if you remember, it yes. was like, it was early season bucks and people were like, oh shit, throw a bunch of screens. Ah, and, um, that's not, this is not the bucks defense now. Like you're right. Like they, they have struggled to stop the run, especially off tackle over the last few weeks. I think Barrett's huge in that regard, by the way. And suddenly like, I do question their ability to stop the Eagles on the ground, which I can't believe I'm saying because that is not the Bucks defense we've been watching for the last two years. In that first game, there were 19 rushing attempts by the Eagles. Yeah, ain't gonna like, happen this time. That is insane to think about in all of this one. Yeah, oh no, they're they're dead. I just I checked today. The Eagles are dead last in passing attempts this season in the <laughs> NFL. Like it. <laughs> It, it ain't it ain't no secret. And like that's the other part of this is when we talk about advantageous quarterback situations, the mm-hmm. Eagles O-line finally all got healthy at the same yeah. time this year. And man, that group is an absolute bunch of maulers on their best day here. So yeah, this one this one's tough for me. Also, I just looked and saw this tweet from uh Jenna Lane on the other side. Cyril Grayson and Ronald Jones both doubtful for Sunday. So like the depleted <laughs> skill group for the Tampa okay. Bay Bucks just continues to add up. So I still have a lot of confidence in the Bucks offense, um, especially because of the matchup. The, I, like the funny thing about the Eagles is they're much better on offense than defense to me. Um, and you know, I, the reputation, of course, is that you know. I mean, how do I put this? So Jonathan Gannon, his approach, very coming from Indianapolis, you know, play very conservative soft zone they've gotten more aggressive as the year goes along but outside of Darius Slay you know the secondary is has a lot of holes linebacker position has been a weakness for them if you're him going into this game against Tom Brady who looks at soft zone (laughs) defenses Mm. um with a knife and a fork are you going to be more aggressive are you going to blitz him like what is your approach um Especially knowing, by the way, the Bucks for all of their injuries, the offensive line is still unde- like the clear strength of this team outside of Brady. Well, and that's that's the reason. Like, I still lean towards Tampa in this one. Is what did they do last year when they got to the postseason, and what's available to them now? It's that and that group. Like we've seen towards the back half of the season, we started to get more of those like not full blown playoff Lenny, but like. Definitely understanding that's going to have to be something that we start to go back to. And now it's, 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 you know, out of their hands there. There's no choice. Like this is what, in addition to, you know, the Brady play action stuff we're used to, it's going to have to be this. Cause on the other side, like 
This Eagles team also, like, I mean, 31st in sacks, fourth in pass rush win, what, pass rush win rate. Holy shit. We need guys really? like Seth Waller and guys. We need some, we need some help here. We need an easier name for this thing. It is impossible for <laughs> my peanut brain to push. <laughs> Did you say fourth in pass rush win rate? Fourth. fourth. Wow. But they are not getting uh, the quarterback. I, was, I think that's hearing that though, Mike, that's it. This is why I love looking at different statistics that try to capture you know similar things together because what that tells me is Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave are still awesome but quarterbacks are getting that ball out and uh yes and trying to take advantage of the linebackers and you know who's good at that Thomas Edward Brady it's Edward right Edward yeah Thomas sure. Edward Patrick Brady yeah Patrick Brady wow that's two middle names well I so I don't know if he's Catholic or not but like it could um, be a confirmation name thing hmm Fun fact, okay. my confirmation name is Darius. <laughs> that will never not be amazing to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. I, I Well, so I'm curious. I, I think that losing all these skill players presents a really interesting challenge for Byron Lefwich because you mentioned playoff Lenny. I think him as a pass catcher in the playoffs, enormous. Uh, something I noticed in the last game of the season, they were using Scotty Miller as a ball carrier more, like horizontally on end arounds and such. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again, because um, you know, you, you, I would imagine Darius Slay is probably going to go take out Mike Evans or try to. Uh, so it's like, okay, if if that happens, and I still think Mike Evans will, you know, get have production in this game. Yep. What can we get from the rest of our players? Um, can Brashad Perriman do it? <laughs> you know, uh, how are we going to get you Scotty Miller for net as a pass catcher? And then of course, creating opportunities, uh, shot plays for Gronk is huge. Yeah. And I mean, you've got, you know, the tight end screen stuff. If we're talking mm-hmm. about a pass rush that gets pressure, but not home that you want to, you know, continue to take the teeth off of, especially internally, all stuff that they've had in the repertoire between those two mm-hmm. for a long time. So. I don't want to say Levante David swings this game because I still think the Bucks win, even if he's not there. But boy, that makes it a lot more interesting for the Eagles. So that to me is something to just really keep your eye on in terms of the Bucks' ability to stop the run. Still in Tampa, but it's gonna be a good game. Yeah, especially I mean, hell, I mean, for people that are interested in that kind of stuff, like eight and a half if Levante David's out, all of a sudden becomes a really enticing number. So. Mm, all right, after the break, let's talk about another game that I think is very divisive. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, 
Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show. M-I-N-A-S-H. OW. So, per Vegas, San Francisco Dallas is the closest game of the weekend. Yeah, right now, the Cowboys are favored by three at home. So, basically, a pick em. Does that check out with you? Yeah, I think based on what we've seen, because, I mean, hell, we got to kind of throw out what we saw in week 18 with the Cowboys, right? Like, none of that was instructive. So, uh, based on what we've seen down the front, yeah, this is a team with a close margin because defensively they've been extremely, you know, turnover and front seven defendant. And offensively, they just have refused to regain any of the explosiveness we saw earlier in the year. So, you know, you couple that with the Kyle Shanahan factor and all this. And yeah, absolutely checks out. Yeah, I think this is a pretty nightmarish, not night- nightmarish in that they won't win, but it's the worst possible matchup for Dallas um, yep. for a lot of teams, frankly, just because of San Francisco and how unique they are. But Dallas in particular, like that defense, you know, their hallmark is incredible pass rush, which would be if they're able to affect Garoppolo, his QBR drops to 25th when he's pressured. And you saw that in the, in the final game of the season against the Rams, by the way, you know, when he is significantly more likely to throw interceptions under pressure. Um, and the Cowboys do love uh, those interceptions. Although, for Jimmy, it's going to be over the middle of the field. So I think, you know, I, I feel like most of, well, given that it's Trevon Diggs has, you know, probably been on the outside. But the problem is the, the Dallas is decent in run defense, but they're not great. And this is, I, I pulled this because I just knowing how much uh, San Francisco uses motion when they run, I wanted to see how Dallas has done against that. Mike, the Cowboys defense allows 6.11 yards per carry to running backs when teams use motion. Not great versus San Francisco. Oh, God. It's third worst in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, I guess it checks out if like you want to get really lazy and basic with it and say, all right, a defense that's hallmark has been speed, getting upfield, young guys in the middle, especially in Micah Parsons. Like what's the way you can usually counteract young guys is by giving them a ton to look at and mm-hmm. who is better than that. I think I just saw it today. Like I forget who, who it was from the 49ers talking about like some of their, you know, pitches on inside zone as a point, like the toss looks on inside zones as opposed to just outside zones. And they're like, yeah, if you think you've got a beat on anything we do and that mm. we're only running toss action for something like that, we want to make sure you've got to think twice about it. Like they are the best at giving you multiple looks out of every set and every possible action they're going to run. And it's got to be infuriating as a defensive player. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge problem for the Rams as well. We're going to talk about later. And I think the Cowboys linebackers are better than the Rams like linebackers. Um, I'll be very curious to see how Micah Parsons is deployed in this game. You know, it's always a point of interest for me. Like, how much are you going to use him as a pass rusher? How much is he going to play off the ball? He's good at everything, but this is a very unique challenge. I, I think if you're Dan Quinn, you still want to affect Jimmy Garoppolo as much as possible, given what we've seen from him when he, you know, is under pressure. But there's the Rams have so many 
counter punches that it makes them very, very dangerous for aggressive defenses, as you said. What's the latest that we've heard? I was looking before and couldn't find it on Trent Williams because part of the pressure that we saw in that last game was him being off the field for them. I think it was an elbow. So pretty sure he's going to play. Let me double check, though. I thought I was actually I got to say surprised by I thought the Niners offensive line held up recently. Well, decently, recently, well, recently and decently well against the Rams. Um, mm, okay, so the latest is just, yeah, there, there is no, that is definitely something to monitor against that pass rush. Yeah, and O-lineman's so good, he just had what I think was a feature piece that's up on ESPN.com <laughs> about him. De- decently important. They don't make many of those. So, I mean, he was questionable on Sunday, which makes me think he's probably yeah. going to play, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's a I tough matchup. I, I do think, again, I'm not... I don't think the Dallas defense is all smoke and mirrors like that. I do. I continue to believe this pass rush is a nightmare. And I also believe it's going to be a nightmare for Jimmy Garoppolo in particular, who, you know, finished the game in tremendous fashion. And as a Jimmy Garoppolo, I wouldn't say hater, but uh, critic, um, I had I, I have to acknowledge he made some throws in the end of that game versus the Rams that I didn't think he was necessarily capable of in those situations, especially outside to Samuel. But he did throw he you know he was Jimmy J. I think I downgraded him to Jimmy J. in the first half of that game. And if the Niners fall behind and the uh, well, I think Kyle Shanahan will still run the ball. But if they fall behind significantly and Dallas gets to go into attack mode it becomes a really, really disadvantageous situation for him pretty quickly. Yeah, that one can get away in a hurry. Like At this point, we're all aware, I think, of what Jimmy G is and isn't. Like There are clear limitations, but those really on his best day won't show up until we get to the thick of all this. And like, I don't know, for me on the other side now, so Tyron Smith mm-hmm. is back off the COVID-19 yes. list. He's going to be out there, but... Even towards the end of the season, like this is the first time where it used to be Tyron's on the field. This offense unlocks in a way that's unique. Like they're they're a very Voltron offensive line where when you take out one of the parts, it can really suffer quickly. I know it's been against premier rushers like it's Chandler Jones of the world and guys that can get over on a lot of people. But I've seen Tyron getting beat a lot more than I'm used to. And with Nick Bosa in this matchup and what he poses here, like that's (laughs) I don't know, for an offense that struggled to be explosive, it's a really terrifying matchup if Tyron's kind of started to lose a step here after all the injury. The Niners' defensive line is better than the Cowboys' offensive line now. Uh, And it's not just Bosa, dude. Like, I am so impressed week after week by the Niners' ability to, week after week, year after year, to turn just anyone who joins that group into a stud, whether it was Kerry Hyder last year, this year, uh, Arden Key is having an amazing season. Samson ebukam has been really good for them. Uh, and then Armstead, you know, on the inside, like this is a very, very, very good defensive line. Shout out to Chris Kosurik. Kosurik, I'm saying his name right, the defensive line coach. Uh, and then D'Amico Ryans. But, you know, we know that behind that defensive line is where they get into trouble, obviously, outside of Fred Warner. So to me, while I am apprehensive of the Cowboys ability to stop them. I also think that Prescott, you know, for all of his quote unquote struggles since returning still looks pretty damn good against pressure. And, um, I think as long as they don't get into, you know, third and long too much, this Cowboys offense should be able to win 
especially like the intermediate area of the field. Well, actually, I was going to say it, it, Prescott's ability to challenge these cornerbacks on the outside is going to be paramount. Yeah, like, I'm still going to pick the Cowboys. Like, mm. and I, was, I don't feel great about yeah, it by any stretch. I think confident. I'm going to pick Dallas. I think I'm going to pick Dallas for a lot of the reasons that we've mentioned here. Like, I also had to, at some point, come to terms with the fact that, like, as much as I freaked out and questioned their ceiling because they didn't look like weeks one through four, they have consistently shown the ability to have this defense be a leading and be a strength, you know, be arguably the strength of this team at times through portions of the mm. season. So that's an identity you could still win with. And if the offense can tap in in a timely fashion to some of what we saw early on, and if nothing else, just be a little more creative. Like you yes. and I, and I know you and Jeff Saturday and Dan Orlovsky have talked about creativity in the run game for Dallas and how in the games where they have struggled, they have been lacking in getting to schemes outside of zone runs. Mm-hmm. They have not used pullers in the way that they need to. Like if Kellen Moore can get back to the more creative run game that does live there, like we've seen before, that can be in a way to affect what has been that killer front. Like if you got guys that want to live getting upfield in a D line that performs well, creasing them with stuff like like that is a really effective way to try and get big chunks here. And that's what Dallas has, when they've struggled, gone away from inexplicably at times. Yeah, a, a thousand percent. And, you know, I think it's not just like the uh, creativity in the run game, but also at times the passing game has uh, as much as I it's weird because like I still think Kellen Moore is really good, but there are games where it's been a little bit predictable frankly. And that's how you end up with all those. What was the game where there was like a zillion batted passes, by the way? Oh, what, God. I, um, I can't remember. There was one. It was um, maybe not Thanksgiving, like, but the week after like, Thanksgiving. It was, was it Washington or was it the Cardinals? Because I feel like it was right in that range. One thing that makes me a little bit apprehensive is in the second half of the season, the Niners defense has been the number one defense in the NFL at defending screens, too, which is something that Dallas leans a lot on. So it's challenging. It's a challenging matchup. But uh, I, I, the only reason I vaguely lean, vaguely lean Cowboys is because I, I'm choosing Dak Prescott over Jimmy Garoppolo, <laughs> candidly. Um, but, you know, coaching-wise, defense-wise, offensive I mean, there's a lot of mismatches that favor San Francisco. Kicker-wise, where, like, no one's talking about the fact that Greg Zerlane just misses, routinely misses extra points now. Like, that is... Deeply concerning in a close game, so this is the this is the one that everyone is eyeballing as an upset, and I think reasonably so. If if I can be the sports talk radio gas bag for a moment here, as I like get ready for a show this afternoon, <laughs> if they do lose this one, are they going to fire Mike McCarthy? Woo! I think they will. I I, I agree. I, I think this is. I think honestly, if he loses in the first two rounds, his job is two very, rounds. Very not well, safe. Especially with uh, Kellen Moore breathing over his shoulder, like it's not the Undertaker in the meme, right? Who's the breathing over the shoulder wrestler meme? Uh, no, I think it might be the, under- is I it think the Undertaker. I think it is the Undertaker. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Kellen, that's, Kellen that's Moore is right, right there. Him. I'm gonna do a someone Photoshop Kellen Moore's face onto um, the Undertaker, please. All right. <laughs> so uh, probably the biggest points uh, betting favorites of the weekend are the Chiefs. I closed that window, but I feel confident in saying so. Um. What let's just kind of start. What would it take for the Steelers to pull off an upset here? Patrick Mahomes to get injured in the first quarter, or Patrick Mahomes interceptions, which has happened. I would say like Patrick Mahomes multi turnover game again. 
not outside the realm of possibility. No, like, but I, I don't know, like, I also don't feel like this is going to be a game where he has to put the ball in harm's way that much. Cause like right. the weird kink of the Pittsburgh defense this year for all we came in talking about with them is like free running yards. If you want them there oh, boy. for a chiefs team yes. that wanted to lean on that towards the back half of the season is like <sighs> started to finally figure out their counter schemes. Not, not great, Bob, not great. Um, yeah, that, that's something that really, that is been such a problem for Pittsburgh down the stretch and something that you're right. Like we've seen the chiefs run the ball efficiently with like every running back on their roster, something that really jumped out to me in the Broncos game. I, Mahomes struggled in this game. Granted, I, I always, the Broncos defense is even without uh certain, like so tricky at times that I tend to not be too worried when quarterbacks have hard time, uh, you know, struggle against the Vic Fangio coached group but I was really struck by how Patrick looked on his feet in this game and that's something I have not seen this season and I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that surfaces in this game I I agree I I wasn't sure how much to attribute because like you remember in that Denver game the surface was absolute dog crap like everyone was slipping out there that always it always favors offensive players too, because you know where you're going and the defense doesn't, but there's no question. Like we've looked at Patrick Mahomes coming off his issues with the toe and wondered all year, if we were going to be able to get that same level of elusiveness. And that was the overwhelming strength there, but you're right. Like it's a very multiple running back room, like seeing Jarek McKinnon get meaningful touches in the like short area passing game, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Again, like when you're trying to just deal with JJ Watt or uh, TJ Watt too, is is going to be interesting. We'll get to JJ Watt, but yeah, Daryl Williams as well. You know, in the passing game, has really emerged. Yeah. Uh, so in the Broncos game, you know, the Hill was not himself, and, and I think in in the first time these teams played, they didn't have Travis Kelsey. Um, right? Wait, yeah, he wasn't in this game. Yep. Okay. So this was like Byron Pringle and Derek Gore going off in this one. Um, I mean, let's call it what it is. The Chiefs absolutely mauled the Steelers first time around. Uh, and that's part of the reason why there's not a lot of confidence this time. One thing I think, just to kind of go back to like the, okay, how do they pull the upset, is you have seen cracks in the Chiefs' defense that have turned into gaping holes over the last few games of the season that would make me concerned as Chiefs fan, not just for this game, but just kind of going forward. Um, you know, their run defense is also an issue. They're getting beat down the field in when they play press man. Like, I, Jerry Judy should have had so many more yards than he did, but, you know, it's Drew Locke. And I don't think that's something Ben's necessarily going to challenge, but I do think the Steelers are going to go pretty heavy run. And to me, that... Uh, you know, as part of the formula where Patrick Mahomes turns the ball over on the other side, like that, if the Steelers would pull off the upset, I think it would have to be a big Najee Harris game. I would agree. At the same time, like a lot of that too has been for me because when I look at the issues for the Chiefs that have popped up into those mm-hmm. games, it's always been like inexplicable game plan wise for Spags, right? Like yeah. you go back to the game against Cincinnati where it's like, why are you constantly playing press man coverage on these receivers and not giving them any help once it's become abundantly clear in this one for Denver, you didn't have to worry about that as much because with drew lock, you just don't have to worry about competent quarterback play in that way. 
getting to you. So I, I think in this one, it's going to be a little more one-sided just because, you know, I mean, we're dealing with the late career Ben Roethlisberger, who last we checked with him said, we're probably the worst playoff team in this thing. We probably <laughs> shouldn't even be here. So let's just go out and have fun. Like he's trying to full reverse psychology this thing, which oh, is man. the last act Brilliant. of a desperate man who, I, and a guy who, I mean, probably at this point, like probably was hoping that that last image of him could just be that, you know, final home game. And we all wouldn't think too hard about anything else. So I, yeah, I, he's like, F. there's all that in there, but. You know, yeah, I, I think you're right, but I think most of it's been for me just like as long as Spags does the obvious thing against right. a team like the Steelers, they're going to be fine later on. Yeah, we can have more of a conversation. Just don't Chiefs defense, don't commit pass interference. It's not, it's you'll be fine. <laughs> just don't commit pass interference, don't give them those underthrown DPIs. Um, and and they got to stop the run. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting test for the Chiefs. Um, you know, I, I, I. I think like there, I want to see if I'm a Chiefs fan, what I want to see in this game sort of leading up to the playoffs is patience from Patrick Mahomes, which we have seen at times uh, effective running game, which is as we've talked about a mismatch. And then defensively, don't be stupid. <laughs> just don't be stupid in this game. Like just, yes. you know, it, it's Ben Roethlisberger and you know, like they're, they're going to want to run the ball. Like don't, I would say discipline too against, I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Canada goes deep into the motion bag on this one. Um, you know, a lot of chase Claypool jet sweeps. So horizontally the linebackers, you know, just need to be prepared for that, but it, they're not going to beat you over the top. No, this is just a big for Kansas City, like a don't play with your food game. We've seen them start to settle into this identity of understanding, hey, we're going to win with longer drives. It's going to be different than it's been before here. But you just got to capitalize early and not mess around with all this stuff because, you know, as much as we crap on him, like Mike Tomlin is this inexplicable above 500 wizard. Like we know all these things that if you give them enough time to hang around – you never know what could happen. I don't think they'll lose, but you want to start to look more like the outfit that we've seen down the stretch of the season and just kind of start to set that standard. That's really all this is about for Kansas City in my mind. Yeah, and you got a game plan for TJ Watt, who in the first game was banged up. Um, and Mahomes had a 3.09 second time to throw and uh, plus 8.2 CPOE, which, I mean, he was ridiculous in this game but uh he also had it very easy and i think he's gonna have a little bit harder right this the steelers pass rush is gonna be better than they were the first time around so uh, with the chiefs you know screens um the they're using their guys horizontally travis kelsey outlet like it, it's a pretty clear formula to me and then running the ball um this is probably the worst game of the weekend right <laughs> oh yeah this should be you know what and honestly again hopefully early bedtime game that's all I can ask for at this point as knees goes mm. through is, hey, you know what, Chiefs, do the right thing here. Let me go to bed early. This is all going to really, if the Steelers pulled this off, this is all going to be really bad audio for us, but that's okay. I'll, I'll eat it. I don't care. Um, I do care. That'll be humiliating. <laughs> but uh, I, listen, I, I don't I, think I'm literally said anything like, show. they've got no chance. I'm legitimately doing a radio show later today here as of the, the day we're taping this, where we're going back and pulling our worst takes from the entire calendar mm. year and essentially old takes exposing ourselves. So I have no shame here. If you want to, if somehow this happens here, I will gladly eat whatever the internet's got. I, I, I was trying to make a case for Pittsburgh the last five, you know, 10 minutes or so. You're the one who kept shutting it down. So Steelers fans, Mike didn't believe in you, not me. All right. Carl's Rams, I think is a great game. And it's in the Monday night spot. 
I have actually gone back and forth a few times. I think if DeAndre Hopkins was in this game, it would be really, really interesting. But this offense without him, I've talked about it. It really just kind of watching the Seahawks game yesterday. um, It's just such a different offense, right? Like it's just super dink and dunk, which by the way, is how you beat the Rams. So, uh, yeah, I, I think like the formula for the Cardinals pulling the upset off offensively, which I had defensively a second, is um, you know going after those linebackers both in the, with the run game, which I think Arizona does have a nice rushing attack, especially if Edmonds plays. I think he's game time. But I love James Conner. I think James Conner's been so good this year. And then Kyler Murray either using his legs or getting the ball out quickly and getting yards after the catch. And... I don't know. I, I, I'm with you on this. Like, I'm I'm going to pick the Rams in this game. I think the other part of talking about the Cardinals offense, which brings me great joy, is the Rodney Hudson effect, how different this has mm. been when Kyler Murray's had him in front of him versus not. Like, that's certainly a massive part of this, especially anytime you're playing a team that's got Aaron bleeping Donald on the other side. But, you know, and, and we've seen, like, the conversation around Cliff Kingsbury and this offense down the stretch of the season has been interesting. Like, late season for the Cardinals, I thought mm. there were games where – he started to open things up a little bit more. You know, their win against, I want to say it was the the it was the Dallas game where I mean he as a play caller thoroughly outshined Kellen Moore in that game. Yeah. 100%. So it's not like he's not capable, but it's all so predicated on Kyler Murray being able to go out and kind of have that Josh Allen game that we talked about before with regards to him. Like it would take that otherworldly type of performance, likely with his feet from Kyler. Yeah, I think they're gonna run it. A lot. I think they're going to use a lot of tempo, which is something we've seen from them lately, and just try to like it with Kyler. Like I said, it's going to be quick, a combination of quick throws, and every now and then he's going to go deep, and it's going to be a beautiful pass. And AJ Green might drop it, <laughs> Wesley, um, <laughs> but that might be what swings this game, you know. And then of course uh, Kyler using his legs when he has the opportunities. I one thing that I think is concerning for the Cardinals is while you know, having Hudson back in there is. Just a huge difference, especially because he can actually snap the damn ball. But um, the left tackle, DJ Humphreys, got smoked (laughs) against Seattle. And Seattle pass rush is not great. So I would be a little bit concerned seeing how dominant they were in week 18 in a a meaningful game for Arizona. Kyler was on his back. I think got sacked five times. And um, that is concerning because the Rams pass rush is a lot better than the Seahawks pass rush. Yeah, and like... this has been a lot of the framework for the conversation around Matthew Stafford in the last couple of games. And I think I remember it might've been, it might've been Bill Barnwell uh, writing about the playoff preview. But like when you look at one of the usual, like easiest predictors, it's like, man, this time of year, it's just, are you healthy or not? And outside of Robert Woods, the Rams are pretty healthy across the board with all of their, most of their key portions. Now, a little bit of that's undone. I think, do they just sign Eric Weddle today? Is that a yeah, thing that so, happened? Yeah, so that's, like, so that's so a big issue. Outside of the back for, end of that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Jordan Fuller, who's in Kayla Rapp, where they're starting safeties, believe both are not playing this game. Rapp is in concussion protocol. Jordan Fuller got, Jordan Fuller got hurt. Nick Scott and Terrell Burgess came in in the last game, and it was not great, folks. Um, so I don't even know if Weddle's going to play, but clearly they need a depth at safety, and that, to me, is... Like this could be a big Zach Ertz game, I think, which is, you know, that he's really emerged as like, okay, uh, Kyler's kind of outlet guy in the absence of Hopkins. And there's an opportunity here for a mismatch because of the injuries in the Rams defense for sure. And then on the other side, I I have a real like 
cognitive dissonance issue <laughs> with the Rams offensive line because I just saw today, I think Ben Baldwin put out like a, a meld of ESPN's pass rush win rate and PFF's O-line grades together to kind of give like mm. one pass protection rating. The Rams are ranked number one. Yeah, that's that's, that's... It's like, <laughs> it just there's no way like going all the way back to like midseason, like because they were trending that way. They were fir- tied for first in the NFL and sacks allowed going into the Titans game and got absolutely worked over in that spot. And like, God love him. I have the most respect in the world for Andrew Whitworth being a 40 year old tackle. But this has finally been the year where he started to look a little bit more 40 in some of these matchups. And uh, Chandler Jones ain't the dude you want to see in all of that. So I, I, I yeah. I know a lot of this is going to be about the Matthew Stafford turnovers, but I was just talking about this with Dan on the show the other day. Like to me, the ability to consistently protect him down the stretch, regardless of those numbers, seems like the real crux of this. Yeah, they've been up and down. They were down against San Francisco uh, in the second half. They were just getting melted by the Niners' pass rush, which, as we talked about in the other game, they're they're very good. Stafford, wait, hold on. For sure. I have this somewhere. He was pressured uh, in the second half on 58% of his dropbacks. Not great, Bob. Uh, oh. That said, oh. I do think this is something we've talked about, like the Cardinals' pass rush. So once J.J. Watt went out, uh, really fell off and, and is, is super dependent on blitzing, uh, and you saw that against the Seahawks, by the way. You know, Seahawks offensive line is not great shakes, but um, Russell Wilson had a fair amount of time. And unless they blitzed, they weren't able to get pressure. JJ Watt probably going to return in this game, but it's such an it's such an unknown, right? Like, because it's kind of early, we don't know what he's going to look like. I I think it'll help their run defense, which is really important. But I am not sure. Like, let me put it this way: I don't think this this Cardinals pass rush is not as good as the Niners pass rush. So you talked about the Rams offensive line, definitely some issues there, especially on the inside, but it's going to be less challenging for them than I think it was in week 18. Yeah. Well, and to your point, like maybe the JJ Watt effect on run defense is going to matter the most Mm -hmm. because like we've seen with Vance Joseph, like a lot of their pass rush too is also predicated on like getting into advantageous down and distance. So he can get into all those sub packages and use all those Jack of all trades bodies that he's really gotten a good handle on this year. Like, that's going to be the thing like you know for cam Akers and the rams on the other side of the ball can you make sure that that is the on schedule portion of things because that's really the only place i worry about vance joseph and the non-chandler jones cardinals pass rush so the cardinals had a lot of success against the rams this year or a fair amount of success it went one-on-one um but you know, uh, the the game they won, I think it was a Matt, one of the Matt Stafford early pick six games, correct? I mean, there's been so many. Uh, and that's that's kind of the the thing, right? Um, if Stafford turns the ball over, it, it, it's going to be challenging for them because uh, you're going to let the Cardinals will then have the ability to kind of play ball control offense, which I think they're capable of. I don't know if Matt Stafford's going to turn the ball over. It is... He is Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde to the max. And I got to think like, I don't know that ultimately that's probably what's going to swing this one. I would agree. And I would say if I'm trying to just like make this make sense in my peanut head, maybe he got them all out in that San Fran game. And then maybe this game, he's going to be so dialed in coming off of that, that we will limit some of the like awful Matthew Stafford plays in here. But He's just becoming a guy that's it's really like, and I don't want to like simplify this narrative wise so, so much, but like 
The fact that they had to backdoor their way into winning his first division title ever as a starting quarterback, like I know a lot of that is the Lions factor, but like, man, it's just like in these critical situations here, I'm starting to get some trust issues, man. (laughs) Well, and they're just so stupid. Some of them, like some of them are, there's been a lot of miscommunications, which is weird. And, uh, it's some of them has been him kind of miss being fooled by disguise, but a lot of them have just been these inexplicable, like you can call them arm punts and say, oh, it's third and 17, but why are you wasting, you know, <laughs> why, like you, you can't waste possessions that way and, and give your, the defense favorable field position. And it's him forcing it downfield into triple coverage when he doesn't have to. I, it, it just seems so mental to me, right? That I find it almost hard to analyze. I mean, the one in um, one of them in, in the Niners game, the one to Beckham where he was forcing downfield, and I think Ambry Thomas intercepted it. He he had Tony Michelle underneath, and it's just bizarre. I I don't know. It's funny, like Stafford. So he's he's first in QBR in a lot of metrics, by the way, against the Blitz, which would seem to bode well for this matchup. But I guess what concerns me is like these interceptions don't happen necessarily when he's under pressure. Like they're just random. As we truly believe most turnovers to be, but I, I don't know. I Man, I'm picking the Rams in this one. This is probably the pick that I feel worst about going into the weekend. Ooh. Like I know we did some of that with the Cowboys and the in the Niners just for some matchup reasons, but I, I'd say it's this one because again, I want to buy into health and other critical areas outside mm-hmm. of the middle of the back end of that defense. The fact that you've got so many of your premier players still in there and on your best day, this offense can really light it up. But the Stafford part of it is just the one thing, like you said, can't predict. But if I'm going to game everything else out, I'm going to say that the DeAndre Hopkins less Arizona yeah. offense can't keep up with that. Yeah, if they had Hopkins and if I knew J.J. Watt was healthy, I would actually probably pick the Cardinals. But it's just the offense is so boomer bust without him and the Pass rush is also so boomer bust and so dependent on the blitz, but we'll see. They can make they could make us look stupid. I don't know. I'm excited about this game. I think it's gonna be really interesting. Um, very curious to see. I mean, shoot, you want you want to talk about sports radio and gas bagging? If the Rams lose, dude. If Stafford loses, it's gonna be so bad. Buddy, listen, Carson Wentz has already fueled the take economy for the entire offseason coming up here. If Matthew Stafford would like to go ahead and add a log to the fire as someone who's going to have to do radio before March Madness and before the NBA playoffs get started, I would greatly appreciate him. Um, All right. As always, let's wrap with Dinks and Dunks, part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? You know, Mike, before we get started, you know, I was watching the Fansville commercial and latest one, and the, I guess, patrons of Fansville were talking. It was kind of like they were becoming self-aware. And I don't know if it's just because I just saw The Matrix Resurrections, which, no spoiler, 
But I do wonder if there's like a matrix possibility where like one of the member, the people who live in Fansville, like, you know, Truman Show kind of thing takes the red pill and, and sort of kind of breaks up the whole thing. I see. So there's a couple of theories on that going around right now. I, I forget his name. I'm blanking on his name right now. But do you remember the guy who was like the uh, Dr. Pepper, like uh, in stadium salesman that used to be the uh, it was Larry Culpepper? Larry okay. Culpepper, oh, yeah, who used yeah, to be in charge yeah, of slinging yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Pepper in the stadiums, who used right. to be the ad piece for them for a long time. A lot of people think this is leading to some sort of like Larry Culpepper return since he was referenced in that one where they're becoming self-aware. So maybe he ends up becoming like the uh, Agent Smith to one of the members of Fansville's Neo. I don't know which one it would be. I guess Kurt Russell. The only one is I, I know him and then the guy who I don't like the face painted guy. So I don't like when people paint their whole faces it's a clown thing all right question number one which of the nfl head coaching vacancies is most attractive i guess i should name them all right uh yeah probably be instructive i know my answer but there's miami minnesota chicago jacksonville las vegas new york they get them all anyone's home uh denver would be the one i would throw at the top so yeah i i I would say Denver, yeah, just really? because there's a little bit more possibility there. I mean, no quarterback. Most of it's also like, yeah, but like you're going into an off season where you're going to be able to try and recruit some, and we've said yeah. they're a quarterback away for a while. Nah. So I don't you know. know what? I, at the NFL draft, the day that Aaron Rodgers news broke, which was the day of the NFL draft, so Denver was picking eight, right? And Dan Orlowski was like, "Well, they can't take quarterback because they got my I got a shot at Rodgers," and I was, I was like, "Dude." They're not going to Aaron Rodgers. This is all freaking dr- maybe, maybe. But everybody like keeps assuming every year that these quarterbacks are on the move, and then they don't move right half the time. So I just feel like you can't put your chips on getting a Wilson or whatever Rodgers. I'm not. This is not wishful thinking. I mean, it's yes, man. Literally last year we went through this whole freaking thing, and nobody left. So I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want a team without a quarterback, especially going to this. What path. do you think the best one is then? Um, I think well, Vegas. I think, you know, although I, I have to think they're going to stick with Passaccia, but we'll see. But just because I think there's good pieces there now, you've really seen, oh, we got a star pass rusher. We've got a, the, the, probably the best quarterback of the bunch. You've got Renfro and Waller. You know, like as much as we've crapped on their drafts and correctly so, they've found a lot of guys in the later rounds and free agencies. So I just think it's probably the most appealing one. Okay. Question number so you mentioned earlier that Eric Weddle, who's 37, he's older than me, ah, unretired. Um, if you could pick any player to unretire and join any of the playoff teams, who would it be? Uh, Chris Long, purely for comedic value. Like I, I know we would have someone who is now, you know, banging the table, gif one of us, one of us fully in the media. But I just feel like he'd have the best probability of maybe still being able to like bounce into affecting the outcome of a game while also giving us unreal, like honest quotes from inside a locker room. Calvin Johnson is 35, 30. Yeah. 36. I feel like oh. he catches like five touchdowns from Tom Brady in the playoffs. <laughs> the Bucks well, you know what? That's the other thing is like, man, I really want Tampa to just go ahead and listen to T.O. and sign him. Like T.O. has been asking for so long. Just let him do it at this point. I just need to see if it's possible. So I'll change my answer to T.O. because I've been publicly supporting that. So Terrell Owens, if the Bucks, if you're listening, just sign him. Just let him do it. We need this experiment for science. 
another good one is Andrew Luck for joining the Steelers. <laughs> but you saw, you saw, did you see him in person? Oh, quick, quick question three. Did you see Andrew Luck in person? I know you were in Indianapolis for the national championship. And what did he look like to you? Uh, I did see him in person. So Andrew was down near the green room. I went and talked with him for a minute <gasps> just to, uh, <gasps> wow. Well, so did I ever tell you the story of like how the first time I met Andrew Luck? No. So me and Andrew were both playing in the U.S. Army All-American game in 2008. We were coming out of high school. He played on the West team with Ooh. my buddy Dane, who ended up going to Notre Dame, and Blaine Gabbert. They were the three quarterbacks on the West. So basically you and Andrew and look so, like peer, peers. Just, you know, context. So, well, so here, here becomes the tangled web we weave. So I'm in the tunnel before the game. And I've been spending most of that week. There were like 13 Notre Dame commits down there. So we were, you know, our little rat pack and didn't really venture outside much. And all of a sudden I'm in the tunnel before the game, and I hear this goofy voice behind my shoulder. Uh, hey, Mike, I uh, I think our dads played together, for, uh, oh. which they did. Oliver and my dad were teammates in Houston together. And I was like, oh, man, who the hell is this guy? Like, what's he what's he talking about here? Fast forward four years later, when Andrew Luck's last game at Stanford in the regular season is him body bagging us. I go up to him at midfield. I'm like, hey, Andrew, my name's Mike. I think our dads play together in Houston. How you doing, man? Can I borrow just a little bit of money? Just some? <laughs> so how did he look? You go, he looked really, he looked really, he looked really skinny. Like I know it showed yeah. well on TV. He, we also, we were all masked up. I didn't see the mustache then. Ooh. So he is clearly leaned into the dad life, but now he looks like, I mean, he, he's definitely not making a comeback ever. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think what's striking too, just cause he's so tall, you kind of forget. And then now that he's skinny, it's like, Oh my God, that dude's a giant. He's like Orlovsky. where like, yeah. you don't realize how tall he is until you're standing next to him. It was great to see him. It made me so happy. I, I just, uh, I don't know, just like seeing him loving life, loving dead life and clearly at peace with his decision just kind of put a smile on my face. Agreed. Very, very rare, but very wholesome. Okay. <laughs> Question four. So right now, before the wild card weekend, who is your pick to win the Super Bowl? Plant your flag. Just because... Just because I told myself I was going to quit the narcotic early in the season and just because I quit them so much, I'm going to pick Kansas City. They are on my side, so it would help <laughs> tremendously in our team draft, but it's just fully become possible again. I'm, re I'm ready to admit it. Okay, so I've, I've been riding the Kansas City train all year and now as part of the first take family, I can't back down from any of my takes, but... Packers are getting everyone back. What the hell is I, you saw that? Um, Sirius Smith is back. Bakhtiari, Jerry Alexander. Like it is insane to regain those types of players in the postseason. Bonkers. It, yeah, no. What we say, and we've been like talking. I it was part of me that was like wondering if we that was really going to happen because we've been talking yes, about Bakhtiari yes. coming back for so long. But man, you want to talk about they've MacGyvered the hell out of that O line getting him back. That's a, a freak show Massive. upgrade. Good lord. All right, last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Lenny says, Mike, you've worked so hard to build a career. You went from doing early morning radio to, well, first super early, then early, and now you do four hours of radio. You call college games. You're on the Mean Time show, second most frequent guest. How does it feel knowing that most of America knows you as the Mayo guy? It's going to follow me for the rest of my life. I just can take great solace in knowing that being Dion Warwick's mortal mayo enemy now is going to be on my headstone when I die.